Well, 1 Peter chapter 1 is where I would ask if you have a Bible that you would turn to. Um, I don't know if I uh, helped at all from last week, but are there any questions? I think last time we started off with a little bit of a, a stump the chunk session. So um, are there any uh, questions that may have popped into your mind or questions that you might have had from last week or this week that I might be able to uh, provide more confusion on? Alright, well, First Peter then chapter 1 is where we are going to be. I have over the last course, I guess the last month, um, I've been asking you a lot of questions during our evenings together. Pretty much every evening we got together, I've asked you two questions, at least two questions, and you may say, well, why are you asking all these questions? Well, some of these questions that I'm asking you are questions that I'm asking myself. Things that I am trying to think about, things that I'm trying to work through, things that I'm trying to evaluate, so there's questions that I have, but at the same time, sometimes these questions help challenge the apathy and the indifference that can very easily take root in our lives. The apathy of where we just don't have a spiritual uh, concern, we don't have spiritual care, or maybe even a difference because life can get so busy, we can get so uh, worked up with everything that we have going on right here that we're indifferent to the lost, we're indifferent to the mission, we're indifferent to the church, we're indifferent to the kingdom work, that we become indifferent or even apathetic when it comes to our spiritual walk. So these are questions that I am trying to ask myself to guard myself against apathy and I think if I am um, tempted or even subjected to apathy you can be too and then also these questions have also been meant to spur ideas or even dreams about tomorrow when we think about a new pastor a new preacher it's a new chapter in the life of the church and when that time comes there's going to be new ideas there's going to be good ideas there's going to be bad ideas, there's going to be things that I will do right that you'll agree with. There will be things that I will do wrong that you let me know. There will be times that I won't always get it right and there will be times that I may take a good step or a bad step. But every time there's a new uh, pastor that comes on to the mission field, it's a new direction. And so sometimes you'll hear people ask the question, well, what direction are we going to go in? What is he going to do? And you may um, have been uh, maybe hearing or you might have been asking some of these questions as far as, well, where, what, what direction are, is he getting ready to lead us off into? And you're kind of sitting there wondering, okay, so we're going to start listening. What is he saying? What is he doing? We want to know which direction we are headed. So tonight, and we're going to do this over the course of several Sunday nights ahead, but I just want to give you some, um, just some, just want to share with you some of the direction that uh, I am headed and some of the direction I think that we are to head as a church. To kind of set that stage, I want to just kind of bring in a sports analogy. When Jaylee and I got married, I loved watching college basketball. Probably not so as much these days just because of time and other priorities, but liked watching college basketball. And there's some similarities and there's some comparisons that we can draw from when it comes to the life of the church, and especially when it comes time to sports. One of the most important stats that you will find after a sports game is the time of possession. And the time of possession indicates how much time you spend on defense versus how much time you spent on offense. So whether it's football or whether it's basketball or maybe it's, maybe it's also in soccer but uh, you will have those where they will bring you the stat and say your team spent so much time on offense versus spent so much time on defense. And I think it's important for us to understand that we can take a lesson from sports to the church world today because just because we are in the game doesn't mean we're on offense. So if you're playing basketball you're playing football. Just because you're playing the game doesn't mean you're playing 
offense. And sometimes in the life of the church, we can get stuck playing defense in the life of the church and we stop playing offense. So next thing you know, we come together as a church and all we are trying to do is to stop the hemorrhaging, stop the bleeding, stop the people leaving, stop the fighting, stop the criticism, stop the negativity. All we're coming to do is just trying to survive one more day. I would submit to you that those can be symptoms that we uh, could be playing defense. And the danger is, is that if all we do is play defense as a church, we never advance the kingdom of God. So what I think and what my conviction is, is that the way the church moves forward is that we get on offense. We must be on offense. Now, where the analogy breaks down, because if you go to football or if you go to basketball or something else, once you score, then the other team gets the ball. So you're going to have to learn how to play both offense and defense. But in the life of the church, we have never been commanded as a church to play defense. A lot of churches play defense. A lot of Christians play defense. But we have never been commanded by Christ to play defense in the life of the church. I think it's quite the opposite. I think when Christ told us that He was going to send the Holy Spirit to help us, He was telling us that He's going to send us the Holy Spirit because if we want to be on offense, all we need is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and we can play offense every single day. But the danger is, or the the, the, the dilemma is, or even the lamentable fact is is that too many churches are playing defense. I've been driving quite a bit back and forth between Wellston and Hilton these last couple of weeks. And so it was just Friday. Um, I was headed back down towards Hilton to do some work. And I think the same church that... Did you go to the front line there on I-35? Uh-huh. Okay. Well, there used to be a frontline church there at South OKC on I-35. And I remember seeing that church, and it had a kids area there, and it was there for quite some time. And the other day when I was driving by, you could see the remnants where the old sign, the sign used to be. You know how the paint around it has faded? Now, I don't know what happened to the church. I don't know if the church moved. I don't know if the church closed its doors. But, you know, there are too many churches these days that are closing its doors. You can get in the Baptist semester, and you can see in there where it'll say, these many churches disbanded. And you, you understand that... Uh, you look at the statistics coming out of the convention and there is a lot of defense being played in the church today. In fact, some of the people from Lifeway Research will tell us that over 80% of the churches in the convention are either plateaued or in a state of decline. That's a lot of defense. And that's a lot of defense that we were never meant to play. So here's my heart and here's where my attitude is at is that Instead of saying we need to start a new program, or instead of saying we need to change the time of this, or that we need to start operating this, what I want to encourage us to do is to be thinking about how do we get on the right side of the ball? How do we get off of defense and get on offense? I think you can talk about the methodology. I think you can talk about the programs. I think you can talk about some aesthetic thing. We can talk about some building program. But at the root of it is this need for us to be on 
offense. If we get an offense, then that affects everything that we're doing. So, 1 Peter chapter 1, we're just going to look at a few verses here. Just a, a stab at it. A picture of what it looks like to me, what I look to as far as how do we get on the right side of the ball. Now, we're going to be looking at, in the next few weeks ahead, we're going to be looking at other passages that I think talks about this offense versus defense. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, it's a passage that I will come back to time and time again because I think there's a call, I think there's a challenge, I think there's a command, I think there's a conviction here, I think there's things that we need to be thinking about saying this is the kind of Christian that I need to be. This is the kind of believer I'm going to be and too many times we live in a defeated lifestyle, a defeated attitude that we're just saying I just want to make it through the day and God never saved us to huddle and just try to wait out the storm. He saved us gave us the power of the Holy Spirit, sent us out to be on the offense. So then why are we constantly walking around with timidity, worrying about what people are going to say? That's the posture of defense. We should be on offense. So, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. I'm going to read down through verse 16. And then I think there are four different uh, keys that I want to point out to you in how I think that we get back on the right side of the ball, that we get on offense. So listen to what uh, Peter writes here in verse 13. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we were brought to you through the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now right here in this passage, I just want to point out to you some keys that I think are imperative if we are going to live on offense. Now, I'll be the first one to admit to you, there are seasons of life that I go from offense to defense. There are times that I find myself where I feel like, hey, today was a really good offense type day. And there's some days I wake up and it feels like I'm on defense all day long. I feel like I'm being attacked or I feel like I'm going from putting out one fire to another fire or quite honestly, just the attacks on my spirit. I mean, I don't know about you, but Satan has a really good way of just giving me discouragement and giving me just the blue the, the blue skies all day long. And they say, you know, I feel like I'm spiritually on the defensive all day long. And then there's some days I'm like, bring it on. I can do whatever I can do whatever you got coming. Just bring it on. I some good, there's some good Christian music out there that boy, I just listened a couple of songs uh, by uh, Matt Boswell and boy, I can take on anything. Some Sovereign Grace music, boy, I can just take on anything. You get uh, some of the Gettys stuff that's out there, I can take off, take on anything. Some of the stuff, when you hear the Gaithers, not the, uh, not all of their stuff, all their stuff, it hits me right where, right between it, but boy, when they talk about the King is coming, the King is coming, and that whole, I mean, I don't know how you can not, I don't know how you can listen to it and not get excited and not be like, let's do it, let's go, let's get them. You know, but, but there's days, it goes back and forth. So when those days come, that they might come to you as well, that I feel like I'm on the defense, this is a passage I come back to to remind myself, this is what it looks like to be on offense. So let me give you four keys that I look to that I think are imperative in the life of the church. The first one is, is that we have to prepare for offense. Notice he says there in verse 13, he says, therefore preparing your minds for action. This idea that Peter is writing to this early church and he says that if you're going to live on offense, if you're going to behave on offense, it's going to come through preparation. It's not accidental. It's not by default. You don't just wake up and trip into an offensive posture. This is something that you are preparing for every single 
day. How we prepare will determine how we perform. That is why, even in the sports world, they will spend so much time practicing because they understand that how they practice, how they prepare, will determine how they will perform. So why are we so surprised when we spend less than 10 minutes a day in the Word of God or in prayer before God that we feel so beat up by the world? Maybe it's our state of preparation. Maybe it's because we're spending more time looking at the world and listening to the world than we are with God. And so there's times that I come back and I start feeling beat up or I start feeling defensive. And I've got to ask myself the question, well, how's my state of preparation? How's my state of preparing for the battles that will come? These preparations will come in spiritual disciplines, prayer, Bible study, discipleship, all of those things come. But Peter, right there in verse 13, says if you want to live on offense, it's going to take preparation. It's going to take time being ready for the storm before the storm comes. It's going to take time being ready with that scripture in your head before the moment comes. Talking to a young lady the last couple of weeks, um, she said something about her first, her favorite verse was First uh, Peter five seven, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. I said that's a really sweet verse. I said, but you've missed the best part of the verse, and that's verse six. Because it says submitting yourself to God. It has this picture that you can cast your anxieties on God when you have submitted yourself to God. So if all it is is just throw my anxieties on God and God has to take care of it, well, I have missed the first part of the story. And I've got to submit myself, humble yourselves, therefore, before, before God. And at the proper time, He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. And it's one of those things that you're able to speak into someone's life or situation if you've done the time of preparation. So there's nothing wrong with Scripture memory. There's nothing wrong with knowing your Bible. There's nothing wrong with knowing where something's at. I'll sometimes reference 3 Peter. And I'll say, well, you know what it says in 3 Peter. And that's kind of my way of kind of giving my my words. And so I will look at those people's faces. And I'll say, well, it says in 3 Peter chapter 2. And they'll just kind of look at it for me a minute. And then they kind of look like, does he really think there's a 3 Peter? But I'm just testing them. Do you know your Bible to know there isn't a third Peter? Or are you just going to follow along? And then that, 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 that twisted, that con- conflicted look on their face kind of helps me understand. Do you know? Do you not know? And, and so, But there's this time of preparation where we spend time in God's Word. We spend time with God in prayer. We spend time in study. We spend time in discipleship. We are preparing because we are wanting to be on offense. And so we say, I am going to prepare like I'm on offense every single day. So there's a a preparation element that he talks about right there in verse 13. But then he also wants us to be ready for offense. Not just prepare for offense, but to be ready for offense. That's why he says, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's wanting us not just to prepare, but to understand that as we are in this game of life, we need to be ready in any moment that... God calls on us. Anytime He says, let's go, we need to be ready. We can't be over, and I'm going to use some analogies from a sports uh, setting, we can't be over at the water cooler. We can't be sitting over on the bench. We can't be asleep. We can't be on our phones. We can't be zoned out. We need to be engaged. We need to be ready. We need to be available. So anytime God says, are you ready? We are ready. Why? And and this speaks to me, I think, more so than it speaks to you. Why are we surprised when the spiritual opportunities come? Sometimes we're just blown away. 
That person talked about church. I can't believe it. Why? Are we surprised about that? This person talked about their past. Why are we surprised? This person talked about their sin. Why are we surprised? I was at a house yesterday, and this man, he was talking, never met him before, um, having a conversation, and uh, you know, he just started saying, well, I'm just going to let you know, we do this. Uh, okay. When I want to let you know, we do that. I mean, he just kind of started laying out what he was already feeling convicted about, what he was already feeling guilty about, laying these out and saying, well, what do you think about that? Well, you know, it's not my place to judge. That's between you and God. I'm just going to tell you, according to the Bible, you know, blah, blah, blah. but it's this opportunity that we are having a spiritual conversation. And why should I be surprised about that? Why should we be surprised if God gives us an opportunity to talk about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Sometimes that's just being ready to be on offense. That's being ready for those offensive opportunities. We should not be surprised or caught off guard when God gives us an opening. And Peter is writing, and sometimes the context is helpful, but Peter is writing to a New Testament church that is in heavy persecution. They're in what is now a modern day Turkey. And they are there. They are most likely Greeks that have converted to Christianity. They are being persecuted and opposed by the communities around them. And they are facing fierce opposition. And they're coming back to Peter and saying, Peter, what are we supposed to do? We're serving God. We're trying to be faithful to God. And you seem like every time we turn around, somebody's ready to kick us in the face or kick us down or or knock us down. Peter, what are we supposed to do? And Peter comes back and says, ah, count it all joy. (laughs) Understand that what you're going through is what Christ went through. Understand that opposition and persecution shouldn't take you by surprise. And even in the midst of the darkness and even in the midst of the opposition, you can still be on offense when you are playing for the kingdom of God. So we need to prepare for offense. We need to be ready for offense. We shouldn't be caught off guard. He tells us, setting your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, there's a third, third element that I find very convicting to me, and that is to understand the difference between offense and defense. If we're going to play offense in the kingdom of God, we've got to know what this offense looks like. And where you get that from, Spence? Well, look there at verse 14. He says, he goes on, Peter's writing, and he says, he goes on, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. He is reminding them that there is a contrast there. There is who they were in their lost state, in their immaturity, in their flesh. There is what they were and who they are supposed to be. There is this difference. Second Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Galatians 5 gives us this picture of the fruits of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. Colossians chapter 3 does the same thing. Talks about the difference between those that live by the flesh and those that live by the Spirit. There should be a marked difference in the lives of Christians between us in the Spirit and us in the flesh. There should be evidence to say, ha! I've got them. I can prove they're a Christian because the way they talk, the way they act, the way they behave, the way they believe, I can show it to them. But one of the things that we need to understand is what does offense versus defense looks like? Well, how do we know the difference, Spence? Well, that comes to spiritual maturity. 
that comes through intimacy with God. The problem is, is that sin keeps us in a state of immaturity. And as long as our flesh keeps us focused on ourselves, we never look to what God is doing around us. That's why he tells us right there in verse 14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. This idea that we are constantly looking to say, I want to grow. I want to move forward. I want to expand. I constantly am saying, how can I better serve God, be more faithful to God than I was yesterday? And the, the difference between the offense and the defense is we realize that when we're living on offense, we're living in the power of the Spirit. We're living under the direction of the Holy Spirit. We're living guided by the Holy Spirit. And we're living for the faithfulness and the glory of God. And the more we move forward with Christ, the more we recognize the difference between the old self and the new self. And we recognize the difference between the flesh and the spirit. We recognize the difference between the light and the darkness. We recognize what it is that God has called us to. But yet so many times we have people that they don't understand what the difference between defense and offense is because they've been so stuck in this state of immaturity or this state of uh, ignorance that they don't understand. They're just saying, hey, I'm just showing up at church. Yeah, but are you showing up at church to advance? Are you showing up at church to try to just hold your ground? Or are you just showing up at church to try not to retreat today as much as you did yesterday? Why are we coming here to church? Are we coming here to church to just say, well, let's just see who else shows up? Are we coming with this expectation? This expectation and this attitude, this expectation and this hope that says, God's not done with us. God isn't finished with us. And I don't care what they do on this on the on the larger scene, God's not finished. I watched it, and I've never been a big fan of him. I, I just having it, he's never never clicked with me. But I watched about a 13-minute video of Dr. John MacArthur this afternoon. I mentioned him this morning um, about Grace Community Church out there in California and about how they are uh, practicing, they've said they're practicing civil disobedience because uh, the country out there, the governor out there has said you, you, you cannot meet. And so they are beginning, they, they are meeting. And I watched about a 13 minute video this afternoon. It was so encouraging. There's a man that has been at that church for 51 years. He served the same church for 51 years. I can't imagine being at the same church that long. But 51 years he has served that church. And he is there and he has humility in his heart. And he just says, we're going to continue to meet because that's what Christ is commanding us to do. If, if you don't feel comfortable being here, then stay at home. We're going to live stream it. If you don't feel comfortable being inside the building, we've set up a big old screen on the outside of the building. We've set up a thousand chairs six feet apart out there. And we've set up seating outside with the sanitation and with all the precautions, the mask out there. That if you want to come and still in an in-person gathering, you can do that safely. He says, we as a church want to make sure there's all the grace extended so that you have any opportunity to serve and to worship God in obedience to His Word. And yet, He's still sitting there and saying, but, we are going to continue to meet. No wavering. No trepidation. No timidity in His voice. No, well, if they say it's okay. He just said, we're meeting. Amen. We're going to adjust how we do it. We're going to be 
we're going to be heavy on the grace for people that are in different perspectives, different positions, different attitudes, different opinions. We are going to abound in grace to try to meet you where you're at because we know that not everybody has the same opinion. But at the same time, we as a church are going to continue to meet. And I'm watching that going, that is a man that understands what offense is like because he understands that the church will never advance the kingdom of God always following the cues of the world. Always always following the game plan of the world. And even here at this church, we are not going to be on offense if all we are doing is guiding our direction as a church off the temperature of the community around us. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. If you go up there to the study, the pastor study up there, I've got some pictures on the wall and all those pictures have a special meaning to me. And sometimes you can come up there and I can bore you for however long you want explaining to you all those pictures. But one of the pictures up there is of a thermostat. And the reason it's there, so this will save you from that next boring explanation, but the reason it's there is because I got convicted one time listening to a preacher talk about the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. And he said a thermometer, all it does is report the temperature. All it does is just give you an indication of what is the current temperature in the room. He said, but a thermostat sets the temperature. So the convicting part for me was because he said, listen, husband, father, You are to be the spiritual thermostat in your home. Your wife isn't to be the spiritual thermostat. Your kids aren't to be the spiritual thermostat. You are to be the spiritual thermostat. And instead of being the thermometer that all you do is reporting or responding or a reflection, you are to be the thermostat to set the spiritual temperature in your home. And then he took it one step further and he said, and now if you are involved in the life of the church, which every believer should be involved in the life of the church. So he said it's not just for the pastors. It's not just for the deacons. not just for the Sunday school teachers. If you are a man in the church, you are responsible for setting the spiritual temperature in the church. And I thought, well, you, you ever feel really small like you just wish you'd climb up the pew and hide? <laughs> I mean, it's just one of those things. And so I have that picture up there because I, I want to constantly be reminded that whether I'm a pastor, whether I'm a husband, whether I'm a father, whether I'm a, 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 a brother in Christ, whether I'm a member of a community, my calling from God is to be a spiritual thermostat to the people around me. And I have a responsibility, I have a calling to set the spiritual temperature. And I think that we can take it another step further if we wanted to and says that God has put First Baptist Church Wellston here. And why are we why are we content with being a thermometer when God has made it possible for us to be a thermostat? I think that's the difference between being on defense versus being on offense. And I realize it's difficult. I realize it's hard. These people right here, they're being crucified. They're being beaten. They're being put out of their communities. They're being disowned by their families. They're being taxed at higher rates. They're being fired from their jobs. They're being banished from their communities. They're being threatened with their safety. They're being persecuted for their beliefs. Their religious freedom is being challenged and these individuals are writing to Peter and going what are we supposed to do? And Peter looks at him and says be prepared. Be ready. Understand the difference between offense and defense. And then this last one. Verse 15. But as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written you shall be holy for I am holy. Here's the fourth principle that I I drilled down on is that to know the place. 
in order to get on the right side of the ball, in order to get on offense when it comes to the spiritual kingdom work that God has for us, we have to know the plays. You have to know the plays that the coach is calling. So a lot of times we will come into a church setting and we'll say, what does God want us to do? What does God want us to do? And we always try to sit there and try to discern what is God wanting us to do. And then sometimes when we don't have uh, uniformity in our opinions or sometimes we don't have complete agreement in the direction we want to go, we just, we just don't do anything. And th- what does that mean? We're not doing anything. And sometimes we do it because of a lack of direction. Sometimes we do it for lack of leadership. Sometimes we do it for a lack of clarity. Sometimes we do it for a lack of discernment. And so we have a lot of people, a lot of Christians, professing Christians today, that they're wandering around without living on purpose or mission for God because they're really not sure what that purpose or mission looks like. So when that basketball player, that point guard, brings the ball down the court... And he looks over at the coach, and the coach gives him the number, and he comes down, and so many times they'll come down, they'll point that finger as he's dribbling that basketball, and he's telling all the other players, this is the play that we're going to run. It may be successful. It may not be successful. But this is the play the coach wants us to run, and this is what we're going to do. I think, I want you to see that God is calling plays in our daily lives. Okay, Spence, so what is the play? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 16, you shall be holy for I am holy. Notice he doesn't say perfect. He doesn't say perfect. He says holy. Now, I, I, I struggle with this because I would like for him to give me a bullet point list. <laughs> Don't smoke weed. Don't get drunk. Don't be hateful to your kids. Don't speed through town. Pay your bills. I mean, I I would like for him to just give me a bullet point list of these are the things that I should or should not do. But he doesn't. He says, you shall be holy. (laughs) Well, how am I supposed to be holy? (laughs) Well, it encompasses so much more than just the do's and the don'ts. It encompasses so much more than just what we want to look to for a, a, a list of thou shalt and thou shalt not. My personal conviction is, is I don't drink alcohol. And not because I think it's a sin if you take a sip of alcohol, which some of you may, oh, you're... Because I can't biblically support that taking a drink of alcohol is the cardinal sin. But I can support that drunkenness is a sin, and I can support that your witness or not guarding your witness or stumbling in your witness can be a sin. And so it's been a personal conviction of mine that because of my witness, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink, not because it's a sin if I take a drink, but because if I take a drink and then I turn to you to talk to you about Jesus, what kind of witness does that give you? Or if I'm at my house and I've had me a, a couple of beers and next thing you call and you say, Spence, we need you to come. We have something going on in our lives and we need you to come. Well, I'm sorry, I can't come right now. <laughs> That's not the kind of witness that I need to have. Amen? So you know what? I just stay away from it. And it's not because if you drink a, if you have a, a glass of wine, I think that's wrong. Or if it's because if you have a beer, I'm saying that's wrong. I'm saying it's a matter of witness and it's a matter of being ready for any time that God says, Ha! You're in. Ha! Let's go. Ha! I've got something to do. I need to be ready every single time. And I don't want to do anything that keeps me in a state of not being ready to serve the kingdom of God. 
covers so much more than just thou shalt and the thou shalt not. God has a plan. He has a purpose and a plan. And what does God expect of us? He says, you shall be holy. Not you might be holy. You could be holy. I want you to be holy on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but you have Thursday and Saturday off. He doesn't say you are to be holy 8 to 5, but then you have your nights and your weekends free. He doesn't say be holy when people are being holy back to you. He doesn't say be holy when you feel like it. He doesn't say be holy when you feel good. He says be holy as I. Be holy in all your conduct. You shall be holy for I am holy. In other words, God expects holiness and He expects holiness because we have been called to follow the example given us by Christ of what holiness looks like. So you may be thinking to yourself, well Spence, what, how does that knowing the play? Well, first thing is, the first step to getting an offense is to focus on your holiness. Now, does that mean we walk around with the Bible? We're like those monks. We go around and all we want to do is just uh, repeat psalm and, and just mutter to ourselves. We go around like Peter, like Jesus talks about uh, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees there in the Sermon on the Mount. They go around with the, the phylacteries and, and they have the, the Scripture tied onto them. And they're trying to show their piety and they're trying to show their religiosity to the world. Does that mean we go around and we're those obnoxious Christians? No. No. Just be faithful and you'll be obnoxious enough. (laughs) Just be obedient to what God has called us to and you'll be different enough. I mean, just be the person that guards your tongue, guards your attitude, guards your response, and people will see a difference in you. The grace, the mercy, the attitude, the perspective. God will see a change in you. He says, I want you to be holy, not because I'm trying to set you up for something that you can't do. He says, be holy because I am holy. Now, if He's telling us to be holy, then what does that mean? That must mean that there is some means, some way, some possibility for us to pursue holiness. And so many times we're just trying the minimum standard. In the military, they have a physical fitness test, PFT. In order to graduate or in order to stay in the military, you have to score a 70%. Is it 70? On the PFT. If you are between the ages of 18 and 21, the minimum push-up is 42. The minimum, this is in a two minutes, the minimum sit-up is 52. And the minimum time on a two-mile run is 15.58. Why do I know that? Because that's all I would do. I was one of them kind. In the physical fitness test, you did push-ups. And then you did sit-ups and you did the two-mile run. I knew that a fat boy does not run by choice. He runs by necessity. And there's not bears, there's not coyotes, and there's not a paddle coming after me. So I don't have as much motivation to run as I should. So they would say, we're going to do the push-ups. I got to 42. I don't care if I got to 42 in one minute. And I had 60 more seconds to go. 42, I was done. Why? Because that's all I got to do. That was the minimum that I had to meet to pass and to be successful. Push-ups, the same thing. I don't care if I'm done in 30 seconds. I'm done. (laughs) Why? Because I'm saving myself for the two-mile run. (sighs) It could have been 30 miles for for all I care. That's how it felt to me. You know, so I'd get in there and then they'd be calling you out times, okay? So I'd, and it was always usually a track and so that's eight laps around the track, okay? So we take off running and you get there, you know, overachievers, I mean, they just fly past you like, oh, great, good for y'all, good for (laughs) y'all. 
But it was always, I would come in and I wouldn't have that many seconds left to spare. And it was always, just meet the minimum. And I tell you that because there's a lot of crimes, there's a lot of times in Christianity that that becomes our attitude. What's the minimum? Sunday morning, that's the minimum. No Sunday school, no Sunday night, no Wednesday night. No daily Bible reading, no daily prayer. No fellowship, no discipleship. No Christianity in my daily life. No presence of God in my normal routine. Somebody comes to my house, somebody watches my shoulder, some big brother has some camera on me, watches my daily activities. They wouldn't see evidence of Christ in my life. I'm just trying to meet the minimum. I want to plead with you tonight that God has saved you for more than just the minimum. But Satan, he knows that if he can just keep you in the minimum, then he will keep you from what God has envisioned for you. And I think the same thing can be true when it comes to the life of the church. So my direction, my heart, my desire for this church is to see a church on offense. The methodology, the color of the carpet, the different names, the different people, the style of music, all that stuff is in the peripheral. I want to see us on offense because I want to see us advancing the kingdom of God and I want to see us leaving out of here saying we don't care what Satan does. We are on, we are in the army of God and we don't care because we are on offense and we are in control of this the, the, the spiritual temperature of the community. See, we must be on offense when it comes to our personal spiritual lives. We've got to be on offense when it comes to our families, our discipleship, our evangelism, our services, and even when it comes to the ministry that God has called us to. We need to be on offense. We must be on offense in all of them. Now this COVID thing, rightly so in many ways, has really put us on the defense. Ron and some others were on the cusp of starting the door-to-door, inviting people to church, talking about people of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden this COVID hits and boom, people are showing up. And they're wearing the mask and the gloves. Just this morning, uh, Shelly's mom came in and and she had a mask on. And I I don't know what's appropriate. Do I go up and try to shake her hand? Do I give her the fist bump? Do I give her the elbow? Or do I just say, it is really nice to see you. And I'm standing here from me to Tanya. It's really nice to see me. Is she going to think, weirdo, what are you doing? I mean, I I don't know. I'm just being honest. I mean, but I'm I'm on the defensive. How do I respond? The ladies that meet together for Sunday morning. And they're up there. They've been meeting now for the last three weeks. I go up there, see them, visit with them, and then I don't see any of them in the morning service. So last week, I asked them, where are you ladies at? <laughs> I've got, you know, I've still in that honeymoon season, so I, I still got some, I got still saw some immaturity to play, so I, was, I said, where are you at? Well, we're not coming. Well, why not? Well, because we're worried about our health. Well, how am I supposed to respond? No. <laughs> you have to be here? I mean, be honest with you, it puts us in a bit of a state of defense. That's what this COVID thing has done to us. I think even in our Christianity, it's put us in a state of defense because we want to be sensitive. We want to be loving. We want to be graceful. So then how do we how do we respond in love and grace and mercy, but yet on offense? I think the key for me, and I think the key for you, I think the key for us, is that we focus on the holiness. 
We focus on the holiness of God because the more holy I am, the more I focus on holiness, the more I'll be listening to the will, the leadership, the direction of Christ. The more I'll be in tune to the spiritual discernment, the more the wisdom that I have when it'll come to spiritual matters, and the more of the heart that I have for the lost, and not just a legalistic attitude, but a heart of compassion and mercy. I think that for me, myself, and I hope maybe it's the same for you, we understand that the best, the best position we can be in is as close to God as possible. And the best position to play offense from is between sight and sound of the coach. So we've got to get on offense. And we must be on offense as a church. But it's going to start with you personally. Because if you're not on offense in your personal spiritual life, then how do you expect for the church to be on offense here? It's going to start in you personally. It's going to start in your families. Our families don't have to be perfect. But if our families aren't on offense, then how do we expect for the church to be on offense? And then it will spread to the church. So my challenge, my request, my plead with you this evening is to just maybe leave here tonight and to say, am I on offense or defense in my spiritual life? Have I just found myself just saying, I just need to make it through the time, or I just need to make it through the day? Or am I actually saying, here I am, ready to advance the kingdom of God? What is your spiritual position when it comes to kingdom work? Offense or defense?